And the strategist, the corporate strategist, and that's the first of these roles, is, is the top line level of that. So these are the individuals that are going to take a look at, okay, this is what I want to accomplish in um, you know, three to five years. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, VP of Product Marketing at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. And inspired by the proven objectives and key results goal-setting methodology, GTM Hub offers the most flexible business orchestration software for mission-driven organizations to provide clarity of strategy and execution across teams, functions, and business units. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. If you're in a strategic role, you'll want to hear today's podcast. I'm joined by Dan Weikert, Director and Enterprise Agile Coach at C-Prime. We discuss the immutable and foundational ingredients necessary for unlocking enterprise value. We'll get practical and at times somewhat prescriptive. Let's jump in. So Dan, I am, I can't even contain my excitement. You're like, you're on our show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for, uh, for having me. I've enjoyed all of our conversations to date, and I think uh, this is going to be a good one. If you were to summarize what strategy means to you and C-Prime, like how do you all talk about it when you're approaching your senior leaders? The strategy, of course, we want um, to focus on the business results. Like what, where do we want to be in, in, in the markets that we currently are? Um, what other markets are we trying to get into? And then what are the things that we're doing in, mm-hmm. in, um, in order to, to get there? There's a very facing piece of that where you have um, what could be considered in, in context sort of transformational efforts internally. That's all about how do we position what we do internally in order to achieve those things. And so when we talk about strategy, it, really what it comes down to is how do we connect that outward facing mm. doing, this is where we're positioning ourselves with this very tight alignment to here's how we are constantly adapting our company to be able to deliver on that infinitely, right? Forever. Totally agree. And I'm just going to like tie onto that. Like The activities then involve for those who want to make this really tangible, we think that there are like three different activities. You've got strategy development, right? So like you're defining it as you discussed for the enterprise, like your organization, strategy deployment, which is we got to communicate this to everybody like in a meaningful way. And this will set the stage, I think, for everything we're going to discuss today. And then strategy execution, right, which is where we're going to manage and measure that strategy realization. And if you don't have all three components, it's unlikely that you'll be successful. So we're going to peel this back a bit. And I really like where Dan comes at this. We got to start with, because we're fans, Simon Sinek, we got to start with the why. Like, um, so Dan, can you kind of like up level us for a moment? Because we're going to get into some details on how this looks. But up level us for a moment on why do we need to start with why? What does it actually mean? Uh, and then you even mentioned that this kind of ties into your personal journey. So I'd very much like to hear, and I think our audience too, how do we weave these things together with it being keyed off of the why. So every every conversation we have starts with why. And there's very good reasons for that. That very famous Simon Sinek um, YouTube video, which I believe is something like the second most watched video ever. Um, you know, he, he really talks about how it's integrated to, to how we are as humans, how our brain really works. And so out some of your comments around strategy and strategy execution you have to understand at a corporate level what that why is you have to find and they have to communicate that a way appeals internally the people that actually have to execute on that as well as emotional aspects to customers that are external. What you're trying to accomplish is to manifest worthy cultures so people can lead healthy lives. 
and that this traces, again, to your personal journey. Can you speak a little bit more about this? Gosh, if that doesn't unleash an organization, I don't know what would. <laughs> Honestly, it's very powerful. That's just my why. Imagine a big company got of people that have their own why and attach that specific why what you're trying to achieve as a, as a vision, right? That, then you get the effort and you get the heart, the soul of, of a whole company working, working together there. Um, so, so a little bit of my personal story associated with that, like how did I find that as, as my why? Started off career, an absolute round was com era New York City. And G was hopping everywhere. There was funding coming in there, right? So so that sets the context of like this is the level set for for my for my brain. And this is my first experience here, right? Went into insult for a big four. We missed a lot of the things that are inherent or tighter companies back the, the dot-com era companies were sort of like this startup mentality was part of the big machine. And um, then I got a job at a, at a company that got more with that. It was a community. It was a call. I mean, we had communities in practice and, you know, we were, we were just helping each other, collaborating, building each other's skills, innovating as we, as we mix things together. So that sort of melting pot was the acquisition by the the big guy and we know the on the successful acquisition oh yes we do that's out there yes we do we do it generally doesn't work out um that well i mean the percentages say that i would never you know speak against the idea of creating something that someday you're going to sell and that sort of thing and and that as a matter of fact is exactly what i did so when my uh time with the larger acquirer of, of this company came to an end, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to go out and create the culture, have one company. And I ended up selling that. I built it. We, we operated it for four or five years and I ended up selling it. Right. So, so outside looking in, boy, this sounds like a great story. It didn't have right vision, able strategy to bake focus of the benefits outside above and beyond just what we were offering from products pulled up in that. So actually on myself from a health perspective was the stress weighing on me Point where I headed as I'm standing up as a regular practice during the day, I, 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 everything's coming unraveled. And, I, and, and so it looks like the success, but like behind the scenes, it's like, you know, that's not right what's happening is not right needs to to my why need to manifest worthy cultures people can lead healthy lives for me it all started the dominoes started falling in the direction that you don't want to go at the place that i was spending 10 12 16 hours a day building this thing were causing me to neglect the rest of that I had built have identified with, understood the importance of individuals, their contributions, what they're trying to achieve, how to take care of themselves personally, right? I would have had a healthy life at that point. Narrative all ties back to why my why is the why. I think that sets such a great foundation for where we're going in this conversation. So now you work at C Prime, which I think is epic. And but from what I've been able to gather and what people talk you up about, it's lean and agile transformation. You know, that's what you all are known to do. But what I really loved about how you framed this narrative or this part of your journey, if you will, is that, yeah, that's all great. But lean and agile is a tool. Like mm-hmm. when you said that, I kind of paused for a moment because for probably many of the listeners and many enterprises are like, that's not a tool. This is like this massive transformational effort. What do you mean it's a tool? Now, I think then if we were to kind of align vectors of here, if you will, mm-hmm. with what you've just talked about in your journey and why this is your why, let's talk about all of the underlying conditions, right? 
that allow an organization to successfully achieve this lean and agile transformation that they so seek after, they long after, right? Um, so I want us to take some time to talk about the immutable ingredients, as you put it, because mm-hmm. uh, I think that sets the stage here and it ties really well with manifesting worthy culture so people can lead a healthy life. So what are the immutable ingredients for unleashing that enterprise value? Yeah, so let me sort of double down on, on, on what you said about uh, about lean and agile, right? That it, it is a, an excellent set of principles and thoughts and practices and culture, right? It's all about the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a strategy. You can apply the, these, these weapons of lean and agile, if you will, into as a strategy to achieve the why for your company. Immutable, uh, in, right? You've got to have the people and the people have to come first. Leader then are in a position where, hey, I've got what I need to start achieving things, but you have to set up an environment of trust. So the second immutable ingredient, environment, trust. Now reinforcing what we've talked about so much so far, the thing is clear vision and outcomes. Vision in and of itself is not enough, right? We have to define a set of outcomes, a path, if you will, in order to achieve that. And that's where your people in an environment of trust will click in and be able to really uh, speed down that that um, that highway. I think these ingredients are so important, but I imagine it's really difficult for somebody to say, okay, great, people got it because, I mean, we, we need humans <laughs> for building stuff. It's not like we're building with the ro- robots, you know, people even build the robots. So the... Environment of trust bit. I, I know you had a really good example uh, of someone, and I would love for you to share that with our listeners on what does that actually look like? I mean, of course, this is anecdotal, and it's going to look different for every organization, but I'd love to be able to champion kind of this person, this ideal, if you don't mind entertaining me on that. Absolutely. So, so the individual that I'm talking about here, CIO of a, a major insurance agency, very traditional type of company, course of decades, you know, 100 years, 150 years, right? These, these companies have been, been around in some form or fashion for that, for that long, hire more and more capabilities over the course of time. They're operating as, right? We see it in the lean and agile community as these silos, products and offerings that are that are going out. And, and so he was a CIO within a line of business that was designed to cross-cut that whole, whole thing. Um, my point in setting it up, so, is to just recognize the cultural elements that were at play within this organization. The way that he did it was the personal connections. Every single person that reported to him, he knew them. He knew what they liked. He knew what food they liked to eat. He knew where they were trying to go, right? He appealed to all of that stuff, not as a management tactic, but as a human to human. Mm. And I actually was witnessing, I happened to be on site as a consultant and, um, and, and I witnessed the day that he was moving on to a new company. Hugs, tears, wow. right? Happiness, sadness, whatever it was. And this is one of those environments, there's glass walls, everybody could see. And nobody that walked in there and, and had that moment, they weren't thinking, it was so authentic. So I just thought it, it was this great example of, of how that culture of trust that he engendered results. And I can talk about all the, I mean, there was a whole bunch of, you know, I was in there due to lean and agile consulting and there was a whole bunch of accomplishments that we made. But when you hear that story, right, that's the important thing. I couldn't agree more. I remember when I used to be in the military and when I was a young officer, I remember this uh, important general was visiting our base he met me once, met me once. And of course we have our names 
on our chest, of course, but it's your last name. And I remember introducing myself as like, I'm Lieutenant Jenny Harold. Later on, I think like a week later at the end of his visit, uh, I was in a car with him and he said, Lieutenant Jenny Harold, how was your week? I mean, how does a two star meet however many people he had to meet? And here is like the low, quite frankly, I was, I mean, apart from enlisted in terms of rank order, I'm the lowest (laughs) And he remembered my name. And there's something about that kind of leadership. This this person who, like you said, like they embody what we hope to have in business, which is uh, you feel safe with that person. You know that you can trust them for some reason. Why? Because they paid attention to you. They Mm -hmm. knew that you existed. What I really thought was cool, and I, I don't know why I neglected it, in Safe practices, you'd mentioned to me that there are lean and agile leadership competencies. Like this is a core competency. If you're going to exercise lean and agile practices, can you can you kind of tether all of this together? So at least some parts of it so that we can take, you know, what sounds like a very lovely story and make it actually something that is it's in a playbook, for goodness sake. Like that's so uh, cool yeah. to me. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, that best that best practice is there. But but, but let me pause to, to just yeah. sort of thank you for, for your service, um, first of all. And and then also highlight, I've worked for rear admiral, admirals before in, in the government. Those people are on another level of, of engagement and just strategy and thinking. And, and it is incredible to just watch them operate um, with that that ability to, to connect in individually. And, and it leads quite nicely into, into this question around um, lean agile leadership and, 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 and safe does a great job of clearly articulating, okay, what is required within that. And um, if, if you dive down into it and think about both your experience and my experience, the authenticity of that individual, right. And you know, that, especially in your context, right? There, there's hundreds or thousands of people that that person has met in the last week. Very authentic to be able to, um, that, uh, and as I mentioned before, it's, it it wasn't, it's not a trick, right? It's it's not a management technique. It's who that person is. They're authentic piece, which probably speaks to, to, to my example is around the emotional intelligence of that, of that individual to, to understand, um, he, he was moving on. And he, he was taking time out. The first thing that he did was he took time out to call those people in and understand that this is going, the impacts of what, where, what he was doing, the decisions he had to make for his family, because those were the, that's why he was making this decision. There was going to be impacts. And he treated those, those impacts within his team, immense level of emotional intelligence even reverence Um, i would say there's like like uh, i mean that is reverence there's honor there that's cool absolutely Absolutely. um the next item is this mindset of of lifelong learning Mm. that um and and we we know all this the stats on it right You, you you don't know yourself as well as you think you know yourself and the frameworks that are out there, emotional intelligence and uh, talent finders and Belbin and all that sort of stuff like that, right? There's always this 360 degree sort of like, okay, well, tell us what you think, <laughs> think your strengths are and what you're good at. And then we'll have these uh, these people that are actually watching your actions and then do that. And so it requires this mindset of, okay, I've got flat spots, I've got weaknesses, I've got strengths. Now, how do I learn, grow over the course of, you don't have that. It's difficult to advance for yourself and, um, and others. The next item is uh, growing others, right? So we have to have that mindset of back to understanding where people want to go and where teams want to go and I'm in a position to do so. The focus of, of any good leader, right, is, is growing others within the organization. And then finally, uh, decentralizing decision-making, like how do you put the right people in the right place within your organization 
to make the correct decision in response to what's happening um, around them. Critical, critical. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So at the end of the day, then, like this man who took on a significant role, a CIO of a major insurance company, 100 plus years in existence, sounds like he developed quite an organizational culture where the orientation of maybe parochial business, or even to some extent, people would imagine like, uh, you know, the services is this power command and control. But uh, no, he somehow managed to make it so it was a very highly performance oriented culture. Uh, you mentioned that we would kind of uh, tarry back to this particular CIO and how he got this to happen, you know, across all of his responsibility sets. Let's let's now kind of tie that lovely story into a bow and, and talk through this aspect of it and how this all fits together. So I, so I talk about this as the foundational ingredients in the in, in the recipe. So we talked about people, trust, clear vision and outcomes being uh, the mandatory agree, uh, ingredients, the foundational ingredients is he formed those people into in, in, in well, he formed those people into teams with that element of trust, right? So mm-hmm. you've got people in teams, right? Uh, and they all trust each other. And that is critical, critical, critical because we can't, in and of ourselves, as talented as we are, uh, we can't do something like deliver value to to market or even internally speaking right we need a nice set of cross-functional teams and and so part of the work from a lean agile perspective that i was doing within his organization was what is that correct structure of the teams and teams of teams in order to deliver on what we're trying to achieve from a from a uh, from a vision um, perspective so that was sort of the, the the first foundational ingredient that that he he put in place, and and, and it was a very measured, deliberate um, process that that we went through, starting with one team of teams, and then the next, and then the next, until the whole organization um, was operating within that team uh, structure. Was this tied? Because you mentioned that they had several services and offerings and products. Was Because I think this is a question that comes up a lot as organizations mature and they have expanded their offering set. Like some people say, okay, in the same way we have technical debt, over time we have accrued organizational debt. And what most people say about that is, well, like we have not constructed, as you're putting it here, you know, teams or teams of teams that make sense to map to that delivery. And his universe, and it's not necessarily a universal rule, if, if you don't mind talking about it, like, was this tied to the products, service offerings, or was there other, some other, uh, I don't know, uh, characteristic that bound them together? Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that you, you pointed out within that, um, that, that it's not, it's not the only answer. Um, but I can tell you the answer that, that we came to right. there, uh, which worked. <laughs> so this organization cross cut a set of other lines of business that were product-centric lines of business. So the way that we chose to organize first and foremost was our teams of teams focused on each of those other lines of businesses. Mm. Okay. Then there, but there was also this organizational enterprise mandate to inject consistency across all those so there was actually a fourth team of teams that crossed a common capability that everybody needed. So that serviced not only each of the other teams of teams that were product line of business focused, there were three of them, but it was also offering services outside of the line of business. So you mm. think about as a centralized enterprise component, it was content management, right? We needed to consistently and reliably deliver content 
particularly around digital platforms. And so we organized a team that created that enterprise component and it serviced it, serviced the needs of many. I think that totally makes sense when any, anybody talks about delivering value, right? We're combining then, like, would it make sense to bifurcate or separate content delivery to each of the different product categories? One person can say, sure, I mean, that would make sense. On the other hand, like the way that you all had planned for it, like the true customer was internal and you would want probably a consistency in messaging. So it would make sense for that to be a service within itself to their end customer, which happened to be internally facing teams that were delivering outward facing value to the customer. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So he did that. And then let's kind of then transition into the the authority part, because delegating authority is certainly once you've created the, the people, you've got the trust, you've got the teams that are formed, the teams of teams. Now you've got to actually give them authority to make decisions. Right. So how, how did you help the CEO or how did you see this translate and perturbate through his organization? Because this is where you start unlocking, you know, accountability to results. I mean, that's where it starts. So we, we use the example of, of a product owner in, in Agile, right? And so the, the concept is that y- you have the individual that can make the right business decision sitting alongside the, the teams so that when a decision needs to be made that requires business input, customer viewpoint, that sort of thing, right? They're there to make that, you know, that decision. And that is a skill set that most organizations find a a difficulty being able to put in every single team that's that's out there, right? So so now it kind of gets back to the the, the people development, right? So, So what do you do? You put the people that are in the best position to do that there and you offer the development and and mentorship that's required to lead them along the way. So when we talk about delegated authority, right, we have to recognize that there's a little bit of this that's learned skills and learned abilities. And so it's like, hey, we're going to you know, take this individual that's probably best positioned to do this, and then we're going to take them through a path. To be able to do that, you can call in, um, you know, a consultant like me, and and we can coach them on the role. This is how you do this. These are the types of decisions that you need to make, right? But then you pair them with folks within the organization that are uh, responsible for showing this is how we do this, right? This is how we look at the market. This is how we would come to make decisions like this. And in, uh, again, within the, the scaled agile framework, one of the, the key benefits is that it's it's it puts some order to we have product owners, but we also have product management and they all work together as a team. And if it's even bigger than that and we have to do a portfolio level stuff, you know, we've got product owners with product managers, um, with the business owners of that specific um, portfolio. And so now we've got a group with all the right skill sets. And it's just a matter of developing and developing those people until they're in a a situation where they truly meet that intention of the product owner. I could make whatever is the right decision given what I know, because I've learned how to do this over the course of time through this cascading mentorship that I have. So we've gotten to through one, of the foundational ingredients. And there's a lot there because people, like we mentioned, are the core. Like this is the core of how all of this gets formulated to begin with. So now we have them. We've got the teams formed. We've got delegated authority. uh, And then depending on scale, you know, perhaps you do have, you know, business ownership as much as you would have product ownership. And that's cool. We're going to transition now talking about the roles, because a lot of times when people talk through OKRs, which is kind of the name of the game here, we'll eventually get there. Uh, OKR responsibility is supposed to be everyone's responsibility, but you all have a very unique point of view, whereas the rest of the market seems to be saying, you got an OKR champion, you're fine. Uh, And I think it's worthwhile to discuss strategy delegation and strategy execution 
in the frame that you all put it, which is, you know, different varying levels of responsibility against, you know, whatever it is that the organization is trying to achieve. Can you describe those various roles and how they map to what we've just discussed? Yeah, yeah. So, so the 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 single um, OKR champion works up to a limited amount of scale. In the scenario that we're talking about, with with very large enterprises, you, you know, thousands of people, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that's a very uh, difficult, if not impossible set of requirements for one individual to to achieve. So the way that we we like to break it out is that there is this cascading set of roles. And I'll talk generic it's not it, it's a it's a role, it's not a job description. I'll talk generically about it, right? And so you we we, we like to start top line, right? Because that's our vision. And and the strategist, the corporate strategist, and that's the first of these roles is is the top line level of that. So these are the individuals that are going to take a look at, okay, this is what I want to accomplish in, um, you know, three to five years. Um, these are top line strategy execution, long-term um, uh, sort of, sort of um, uh, purview that, that, that we're talking about there. And um, it should cross business units, portfolios, functional units, you know, whatever that is. So, so there's sort of a role there that's the champion that works within that team. And then from there, we start to tease into um, execution strategists. Okay. So when I'm talking in that, the corporate context that I was describing before, we had all these different lines of business and, and this CIO kind of fit in one of those, Right. That's that's where we're we're tying down into execution strategy. So I know where we want to go. I've got real objectives and key results that are set up for my corporate strategy. But now I need to align that with what's happening within a specific line of business. Mm. That's where we start to see, you know, strategy execution take place. I mean, they're doing the work within those those units. So there's execution strategists and, and then there's team team level. Um, OKRs as, as well. I, I can. We would recognize this. The high level in, in the scaled agile framework, we would recognize this as, you know, the, the corporate strategy and, and sort of the enterprise system that's that's working at the high level with objectives and key results. Um, in the case that we have a line of business or a portfolio structure, you know, that would be baked into that portfolio structure. The execution strategist right in there. And then our teams that are planning in the context of teams of teams, um, they have a, a piece of this as well. And so putting your OKR champions at each level is is important, is extremely important. Yeah. Otherwise, like you mentioned, like one person does not scale against an entire organization. That'd be kind of ludicrous to ask them to. They would likely, you know, walk away from that and say, no, thank you very much. Um, and so... Cool. So we have, you know, all of this stuff, but it, it, one of the issues that we have heard and everyone talks about if you're trying to do OKRs, which is basically a, f- a framework, if you will, of being able to scale your strategy where everyone has ownership, which we've discussed who the different owners could be. You need to be doing this with some sort of regularity. Yeah. Uh, and you all have suggestions about a cadence and what yeah. we're very familiar with is a cadence of shipping, right? We're like, oh, you should ship, you know, something every two weeks or whatever. And great, but that's really focused on delivery. We want outcomes. How do you marry up then this cadence of outcomes along with that cadence of delivery? What is your, your all's uh, perspective or, or viewpoint on that? So, so um, when we talk about cadence, we want to set it in the context of, 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 of learning and objective evaluation of what it is that we're executing on, right? So this concept of, of cadence is, is, is very um, tightly aligned with, with agility in and of itself, right? Because if we're not adapting and changing those things, as we're learning, we're, we're not able to execute in a, in an agile way. Um, so, so, so putting in the construct of, of cadence is T 
taking the guesswork out of, well, when should we do that? Mm. We just plan it in. We bake it in to, to the way that we operate and we do it on cadence because then we're not thinking, oh, well, when is the appropriate time to go into and, and review this with you know these individuals? It's just, it's baked into the system, the way that you operate. And so, so that's why cadence is so important to our, our, our strategy execution through OKRs. What would you say would be an, an appropriate rhythm for that? Does it, have you seen it vary from organization to organization? I'm sure a lot of people have asked yeah. you that because everyone yeah. wants this, uh, I don't know, like the heuristic, that rule of thumb. What can yeah. you offer in terms of like the different deployments you've seen or the adaptations of agile, lean agile frameworks and then the coupling of that? Because OKRs, if you read through the safe stuff, OKRs are in there. Like yeah. what, what would you say is the best practice there? Um, so, so there's two key questions. Uh, you know, how, how quickly can you produce those results? Good point. And how quickly do you need to produce those results? Good point too. And so that's why I open up that question to, to the customer. So given your context, right, how quickly do you, do you need to show, show results on these connected, these aligned objectives and key results? And, and then that sets the right cadence for reviewing that. Now, if you're asking, asking me for um, a rule of thumb on cadence, um, I would look for an organization at the, so you, so, so let's set one thing first, cause I don't want to be mi- misunderstood. Execution of your key results, uh, right. It, it occurs as it occurs. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to be achieving those things. You're always going to have a mindset of being able to review those things as they happen. The cadence by which we want to insert allows us to aggregate a bunch of learning that we've seen and, and synchronize that across the set of teams that are concerned about it. So if we talk about it at the enterprise level, we can have the, the OKR champion that's working across the set of lines of businesses, in, in, in sort of a team structure, maybe there's a higher level executive sponsor, sponsor that's saying, yes, this is what we're doing within the organization. It's the right thing, thing for us. We would say about once a quarter, right? You want to make sure that you're reviewing this. What, it, what have we learned so that we can make sure everybody's aware of that? We're ticking and tying as you drive into strategy execution, you've got this nice organized method of spreading those learnings throughout the organization, right? Because you're, 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 um, you're, you're doing that. So would it be fair to say, cause I think, I think what I'm hearing anyway, is we've talked about the roles. There's going to be someone or some ones that are going to be the corporate strategists be kind of absurd for them to be checking in on their OKRs every two weeks and having that, you know, pushed through the org to share those learnings at that clip. Maybe they can ingest that. I don't know. That seems like a lot. So it, I think it, it sounds like it's fair to say that depending on what role you play and then how long it would take to possibly revert any strategic missteps that might have happened along the way. Yeah. Uh, those would be considerations as a function of when you should be checking in with your stuff. Because yeah. if you're talking about a multi-year strategy, yeah, okay, quarterly clip, clip, great. If you're talking about execution strategist, that might be a month down to yeah. two weeks, depending on the yeah. size of the team of teams. So yeah. really it is be pragmatic. There is no hard and fast, but just be thoughtful about how much reporting you're asking for and how beneficial it is in making a difference in the decisions that the teams will make as a result of that knowledge. All of those things need to be combined thoughtfully so that no one is inundated with reporting and actually can be focused on the execution, which at the end of the day, we know great ideas matter, but what matters most is actually being able to execute on the, the stuff that you promised you were going to do, right? 
Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great point, and and I think you um, you you, ex- you extended a bit of what 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 I had started with there around. Okay, you know, it, it does depend at what level of scale within within an organization that uh, that you are. Yeah. And then something that I thought was really lovely. Uh, I just I couldn't get over it. I actually talked to my husband after we had chatted about it. How useful it is to I'm going to steal your thunder. Forgive me. Mm-hmm. As part of the OKR practice, okay, we've got our people, we've we've got our cadence. We're learning a bunch of stuff, and when we're doing our retrospectives, some part of us needs to be okay with forgetting the past. Can you kind of yeah. indulge us on? What do you mean by that? Because most people, I think, would be alarmed to hear. What do you mean, forget? Aren't we supposed to learn? This yeah. seems kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. But I really liked your perspective on this, or at least C Prime's perspective on this. It's really a function of where we are at that point. Our level of self awareness, our level of understanding exactly what's happening, you, you know, around us, and then we make the right decision given that context. Well, over the course of time. Right. Then then you start to second guess something like, you know what, maybe that wasn't the right decision to be able to make it at, at, at that time. And so what I want to do is shift left on that and, and say, OK, um, let's understand our past. Right. And, and let's remember, you know, the key thematic things that are really driving that are tied to our strategy, tied to um, the vision of what we want to uh, what we want to achieve. But let's not make a decision just because that that is the decision that we would have made in the past. Let's let's be future thinking. Let's pull in more people so that we can understand um, more perspectives. Let's be thoughtful, but quick about how we're making decisions. And, and then in, in this context, I, I, I want to expand it up a little bit more as well and say, just because we've operated in a certain way for a, a long time, doesn't mean that's the way that we should continue to operate going forward. So if there, there, are, there are structures in place that are preventing our ability um, to to make another decision or to move a different way. And it's truly just a function of something that's happened in the past. How do we deconstruct that mm. so that we can we can still have we still have to make the decision, right? But how do we deconstruct that um, so that we can make the right decision for, for us going forward? So it's not we're not removing the need for, for rigor, right? We're still being very thoughtful. We're just thinking about things differently now. Right. Right. It, whereas I think a lot of times it might be crippling, especially when you're a performance oriented team or person, like we can take them the individual and you come at the end of a quarter or the end of the year and you're like, we didn't make it. We set out these OKRs and mm-hmm. this isn't looking great. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So some part of this forgetting the past is not necessarily forgetting the past is forget that you didn't get the result that you wanted. Use that as perhaps the catalyst to think through. Did you have the wrong measure? Did yes. you have the wrong goal? And did yeah. that in, in effect create the wrong outcome or the outcome that we did not intend? And what can we learn, like you said, so that we can be very future oriented in our approach, right? It's not that we're, you know, we're trying to, you know, pretend it didn't happen. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is, you know, let's try to divorce the emotional impact of not being successful because, and I guess this ties into, you know, where we're going to meander to is a lot of our organizations, especially if you're a big enterprise, are accustomed to having KPIs. I mean, small businesses as well, where the KPIs are all about compliance and operational health, Right. And at the end of the day, if something's going to go off the rails, you're like, oh, what do we do about that? OKRs kind of come in place to say, okay, we need to improve because that's what OKRs are for is about this continuous improvement. Um, So I wanted to ask you a question about how you all approach the marriage of KPIs uh, where, you know, performance and targets are well known. We know that these are operational health metrics. If they're not going well, the business is not going well. Um, 
But then we also have this other notion of OKRs, which we just discussed. You know, here are all of the underlying ingredients to make uh, uh, this work uh, on top of uh, lean agile frameworks, if you will, too, to get our stuff done. Like, yeah. can you talk about that marriage between OKRs and KPIs and how we should be thinking about that? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and, and I'll use um, a, a, a personal story here, right? So, you know, uh, I use OKRs in in the the execution of um, of my function within within the company, right? And and one of those functions is getting new strategic products and solutions out to market. And so my uh, one of my OKRs, right, for this quarter is to get you know, X number of, of, you know, products out, out the door. So we need to just prove out that, that pattern that we've got customers that have validated these products. We've got nice, robust um, assets internally um, that are, that are easy to learn and use. And, and, and um, you know, within this, the skill sets that we have, all of that stuff is baked into my objectives and, and key results. Now the KPIs are <laughs> to your point, right? We have to run a uh, a performant business, right? That fuels the vision of of, of where we want to go. We have to do that. That's that's a non negotiable. I sort of view those as um, uh, constraints on the the objectives that I'm I'm, I'm achieving. So I have mm. to create products that will yield, you know, this much revenue, this much profitability, you know, whatever it is. And so we view those as balancing. Um, It's part of a balance conversation between the two. Yeah, the way that I've thought about it before, I've heard someone mention, so I'm totally riffing off of someone else's idea, is imagine that you had an economist baked into every team where – the outcome might be we need to increase revenue. But if you gave that to the team, you're like, you need to increase revenue, they'd probably flip out. What they need to do, like you've mentioned before, and I love that word, is to deconstruct what things a team can actually have some amount of control over to affect that outcome. And that's the exercise is, you know, what what would we consider is the function of improving fill in the blank, whether it's revenue, uh, you know, customer satisfaction, to directly impact that is ludicrous. But to be able to say, you know, if we want to increase customer satisfaction, we believe it's a function of these things. And these things are things that we can build experiences around or improve our current experiences around. Or maybe it's we reduced our costs or we refund faster. We don't know. We're going to test out those theories. And at the end of the day, when we come to the end where we're looking at it, and we didn't make it, the forgetting the past, again, we tie that back is to say, we got the model wrong. Yeah. We modeled yeah. it incorrectly. We, we learned now it's actually a function of these things potentially, or maybe, you know, we at least have signals that would suggest that maybe we need to remodel that, approach it again, and then see if that actually works. And then those, uh, those health metrics will move. And, and that's what we want at the end, right? Yeah, the, the you know the boat will rise, and 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 just to put put a finer point on it, I in in the first story that I was telling about my career and where we ended up, I didn't know it at the time, but in your analogy, right, I was the economist on the team. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that proper the, the proper focus, and mm-hmm. so the revenue and the profitability became the vision, and we saw what happened. Mm. <laughs> Right. It a, a whole bunch of bad things. I described it from a personal standpoint, personal health standpoint happened. And, um, you know, in that and that was against the foundation of why I actually started doing why I founded that company. Um, so um, incredibly important to have the business basics, you know, as you're saying, oh, yeah. but um, also don't lose sight of of where you're going and why. Well, this has been like a really exceptional episode. Thank you so much. I have a few quick fire questions to wrap it up. First, what do you appreciate most about your team? 
uh, about what I appreciate most about my team is um, the the air cover I get from my boss <laughs> to do what it is that we need to do to be able to get to really be strategic about what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and then more specifically within within my team, um, there are great uh, ideators that are there. There are great execution folks. There are forward thinking um, pie in the sky folks, right? Everyone has their own thing that we can bring together, um, have some fun and, and really get a lot of what I consider um, very meaningful, personally meaningful things um, done uh, w- within our customer base. Awesome. Two, what is your dream with the deadline? If you have one. Um, so I, I got to get back. I, I run uh, ultra marathons. Um, and so the COVID thing kind of squashed mm-hmm. that a little bit. And, and so I, I got to get back out there, um, you know, in, into nature and, um, and, and getting that done. And it, it requires, it's a long, that's a long-term proposition. Right. And, and so that's, uh, my my own personal <laughs> objective, and I got a bunch of key results uh, that I got to hit along the way to make it happen. And last question is: In the last twelve months, I know we're just into we broke into the new year. Uh, what would you say is like the highlight of the past year for you? The highlight of the um, past year, and this is again, I'm sorry, going to be a personal one. Um, but, um, I've, I've been watching my, we talk about agility and we, we, we talk about, uh, customer centricity and response to the market and stuff like that. And, and I've actually watched, um, my daughter who's 16, um, she's, she's got a business and she's running that thing. And I came in, I know I came in. And, and I was thinking, okay, I've been there, done that, right? I'm, I show her the path. And, and what she's taught me is, boy, this next generation and, and what they're going to be able to do is going to be incredible. I mean, and, and I went straight from, hey, I've got all the answers to what can I do to help you? Because you're <laughs> at, a level, at your age, like you are at a level that I was not wow. at until twice your age. So watch them go. I mean, these, all the stuff that we're talking about they're they just do it right. They just understand it inherently. And it's going to be amazing. I agree with you. I am super excited for your daughter. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a joy. All right, Jenny. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of dreams with deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.